Good morning. The Old Testament reading for the 12th Sunday after Pentecost comes from Isaiah 56, verse 1 and 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples." The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading is from Romans chapter 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Now I am speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 15th chapter. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. 
and her daughter was healed instantly. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for the sermon today is the Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 15, beginning at the 21st verse, and it begins this way. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And so this is an area up above Galilee, up above the uh, Sea of Galilee there, and it's, it's over against the Mediterranean. It's actually outside of Israel in Gentile territory. And what we don't hear in our reading is what comes right before, why Jesus withdrew from there. He wasn't just on vacation or something. He had just had a run-in with the Pharisees and the scribes from Jerusalem. They had come all the way up from Jerusalem to question him. They're following him to uh, create trouble, to check him out. And they ask him this question. They say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? What they're really asking is, why are you departing from our teaching? Right? Why are you against us? This is kind of what's going on. He says, uh, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat? It's not a matter of cleanliness. It's not a matter of, oh, you've got germs on your hands. They didn't know about germs. They, they hadn't been invented yet. But uh, it's a matter of the tradition that uh, you ceremonially wash your hands and now you are clean and pure. And the disciples aren't doing this likely because Jesus isn't doing it because it doesn't matter. And it's just a tradition of the elders. It's a man-made kind of thing. And so Jesus turns the table on them and he says that while the disciples are breaking man's traditions, the Pharisees and scribes' traditions are sometimes breaking the commandments of God. Oh, this is a much greater accusation against them. He says, it's not what goes into the mouth, like with unwashed hands, that pollutes a person, but rather it's what comes out of a mouth, which shows what's in the heart. That's what you should be concerned about. That's what might break the commandments. That's what God might not smile on. You should be more concerned with that. And here he's implying that the Pharisees and the scribes who have come up to question him should be looking at their own hearts and their motives, at their own corruption. And this, of course, offends the Pharisees and the scribes. And Jesus' disciples are concerned about this, that Jesus is not making friends, but rather making enemies in Jerusalem. And so they come to Jesus concerned because these are powerful people. And so... Jesus withdraws to this area outside of Israel, this area in Gentile territory in the district of Tyre and Sidon because his time has not yet come. Things have to cool down a little bit. Jesus isn't going to press any issues right now because his time hasn't come. And the faithless Pharisees and the scribes worry and fret about what goes into their mouths, while out of their mouths comes condemnation 
of Jesus, of the Son of God, of the Messiah, the Savior that God has sent to them. And here in this Gentile place, Matthew, in his gospel, wants us to see a great contrasting picture between this woman who is technically, religiously unclean, yet what comes out of her mouth is a confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. And so Matthew uses a special term in verse 22. He says, and behold, and we've made note of this before. Want to notice whenever that term is used there in Matthew. Behold, and what he's saying is, look at this. Watch what happens here. A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now the Canaanites, we know, they were some of those people who were living there in the promised land that the Israelites were supposed to not just push out, but exterminate. Uh, there were many peoples that the, that the Israelites were told not to leave any of them alive, but to completely destroy them. This is God's um, judgment on these people for their great sins. And uh, we remember from history that when Joshua leads the Israelites in, they begin the conquest of Canaan, and they begin this job, but it never gets finished. And there are sometimes kind of treaties that are worked up. Uh, the people are left there, but they serve the Israelites or something like that. And this is what has happened. The Canaanites were not all exterminated. Uh, they were pushed out. Now they're living up in this other area here, and this woman comes and uh, is talking to Jesus, calling after her. So, so Jesus and his disciples are walking along here, and this woman begins to follow them. And they know that she's a Canaanite woman. She starts to cry out after Jesus. And if you read the Greek there, it's kind of like she started crying out and continued crying out. That's what, what the word there means. We just translate it and say she starts to cry out. It means she continued and continued and continued. And it's really getting to the disciples. And they want Jesus to do something about this. Now she has a great concern. Her daughter uh, is possessed by a demon. Uh, and uh, she wants Jesus to do something about it. Well, where did this come from? How did she know about Jesus? We're not told. We don't know. But apparently she does know about this man, Jesus, and what he can do. And so she comes. And this is her prayer. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. So while the, the Pharisees and the scribes, while the leadership from Jerusalem are rejecting Jesus, absolutely not the Lord, absolutely not the Son of David, this Messiah, he wouldn't be acting this way if he were. This Canaanite woman over here, this Gentile, is calling him Lord. A term that the disciples themselves use for Jesus and then calling him son of David too, which is a messianic term, right? The one who was going to come to redeem Israel was the son of David. A son of David was going to rise up and, and sit on the throne. They've been looking for this Messiah. Here the Canaanite woman recognizes that Jesus is the one. And you would think 
that Jesus would turn to her and say, oh, come and join my band. <laughs> come on with me. You can be one of us, daughter of God, right? But he doesn't. He just ignores her. He doesn't answer her a word. And maybe that's not unexpected in that context right there. The disciples would not have been surprised that he wasn't answering her. That's not why they come to him. They want, him to, they want Jesus to take care of it, be done with her. But they're not surprised. She is a Gentile after all. Jews and Gentiles are not supposed to have dealings with each other. She's a Canaanite. She's a woman in that context also. Uh, the, the woman would not come and speak to a man like that, especially not a rabbi or a teacher or somebody like that. So they're not at all ex uh, surprised that Jesus is, is ignoring her pleas for mercy. She's not deserving of Jesus' time. She's not one of the Israelites. But then she's pretty persistent. She keeps calling out, crying out after Jesus. And you can imagine the disciples, they finally kind of, if Jesus is walking in front, they kind of catch up to him and say, Lord, do something. Do something. Send her away. But they're not asking him to turn on her and say, stop following me. That's not what they're asking. And we can see that in Jesus' answer. When Jesus says, I was sent only to the house of Israel, we can see that what they're really asking him to do is to do it for her. Heal her daughter. Send the demon away so that she'll stop following us. But Jesus does respond that way. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, and maybe the, the disciples you know, look at each other and say, well, you know, yeah, okay. And, and then they might stop and think, wait a minute, what does he mean the lost sheep? <laughs> aren't the, aren't, isn't Israel God's flock? Isn't Israel God's people? What, what does he mean lost? But then they stop. Jesus stops and she comes right up to Jesus and she humbles herself. She kneels there in the dust in front of Jesus at his feet and she begs him, Lord, help me. And finally Jesus speaks to the woman and he says, of course I'll help you. Right? I love all people. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says something really surprising. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He's just called her a dog. And today I think, yeah, you know, Jesus would undergo sensitivity training, right? How to deal with people. Uh, this is not how you uh, deal with anybody. Forget lawsuits. It's just not how you act. Jesus, who is this loving person, right? Uh, he, he loves everybody. He's helping all kinds of people. Why is he calling her a dog? Not right to take the children's bread, that's the Israelites, and throw it to the Gentiles, to the dogs. Now, of course, we know that here we read you know, uh, Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. God's ministry goes to the Gentiles. There's something special happening here. Jesus does come to Israel in fulfillment of the prophecies, in fulfillment of the promises 
to Abraham, right? And he's going to come to Israel, but it's through Israel that the world is going to be blessed, right? Abraham is the father of many nations, not just one nation. Jesus hasn't come to this Gentile area here to set up a ministry there. She calls him son of David. It kind of almost sounds like she's trying to include herself in Israel, although she's not really. But again, if we look at our Old Testament reading today, we see it. Even in the Old Testament, it's prophesied that Jesus is going to come for the world. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples, all peoples, all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Right there it talks about Jesus coming for all of us, for the world. This is our great joy, isn't it? Because we are the Canaanites, we are the Gentiles, we are the ones who are not in bloodline Israel, right? We don't call Abraham our ancestor, but he is our father. We call him our father, Father Abraham, because we, by faith, are the children of the true Israel. The New Testament, Paul talks about this, right? We are the true Israel, all those who have faith in Christ. But here, she is outside of the house of Israel. He calls her a dog to her face. He's just fed over 5,000 people, and after this, he's going to feed 4,000 more. In Jesus, God feeds even the ungrateful people, the unbelieving people in Israel. Because where in the end are the 5,000 and the 4,000? Where are these people when he's uh, hanging on the cross? The crowds have left him at that point. So they are unbelievers. They are unfaithful. There, there are believers among them. I'm not going to say there aren't. But God feeds them, feeds all of them. He, just like the sower sows his seed, it goes everywhere. It goes to all people. Does this woman, this outsider, this Canaanite, does she really believe what she says? Or are these just words to try and get something out of Jesus. And Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she says, yes, Lord, for even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. The woman agrees with him. Yes, Lord, you're right. It would be very bad to contradict God's plan that he has made and is performing to save his people, Israel. You are Israel's disciple. The bread that you give belongs to the children. And when the children eat, the dogs get to eat too, don't they? The bread the Messiah gives is so abundant, so overflowing, that parts of it fall from the table and feed others. She says, I know that. And the crumbs of God's mercy is all I want. The crumbs of God, God's mercy is plenty for me and for my daughter. We don't need anything more. She doesn't argue at all 
with what Jesus says. She doesn't try to prove that she's worthy somehow of some mercy. And, and you see this in other places. You see the centurion who says to Jesus, no, no, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. He's a centurion. He is the commander of a hundred Roman soldiers. Uh, if you were walking through the streets, you got out of his way. He is worthy, right, to have some unknown rabbi. But no, he has faith in who Jesus is and what he can do. And he says, I'm not worthy. You see, that kind of faith often outside of Israel. Jesus makes comment about it here and there. He does with this woman, right? She doesn't feel like she's worthy. She's not asking because he owes her. It wouldn't be mercy if she was. Mercy is something you give to someone who doesn't deserve it. We have that opportunity in our own lives as we deal with people around us, as we deal with family members and co-workers and, and people on the street, people in stores who are waiting on us or whatever it is. It's hard for us sometimes to be merciful to people. And maybe it's because we don't understand what mercy is. We expect, we expect people to treat us certain ways. God doesn't treat us like that. He doesn't treat us the way that we deserve. But he pours out his mercy in Christ on each one of us every day. And in turn, our faith, the Holy Spirit in us, our sanctification teaches us more and more to share that love, to be merciful to others. And here she's asking Jesus. She's saying, I don't deserve it, but I'm asking for it anyway. Be merciful to me, Lord. Paul writes that God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Every one of us is in the same boat. Every one of us is just as lost in our sins, regardless of what those sins are. Every one of us doesn't deserve God's mercy. And God offers it to every one of us all the time. It's always been God's plan to save all people, all nations. From the first promise to Abraham and his descendants, but even before that, the first promise of a Savior goes to Adam and Eve, right? The parents of all people. See, salvation was always for all people. But there's an order to it. God's Son comes to Israel, is raised in Israel under the law, fulfills that law, offers his life, sheds his blood, carries the sins of the world, not just the sins of Israel, sins of the world, and puts them to death, offering us salvation. And Jesus answers her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now I say there's, there's a little more to the story of Paul Harvey that, uh, that we don't get in the scriptures here because what happens now? She's down on her knees. She says, have mercy on me. You know, the, even the dogs eat the crumbs. All I need is a crumb, Jesus. I know you can do it. Be merciful, Jesus says. Great is your faith. Be it done for you. What does the woman do? We don't hear, can you give me a sign? <laughs> right? She doesn't 
doubt? I'm sure she jumps up. Maybe she grabs his clothes, you know, down on her knees still. Maybe she gives him a hug. I don't know. But she goes home happy, I know. She believes that her daughter is healed, even though that daughter is somewhere else. Because I think her faith is that strong. Boy, that's a lesson for us too. You know, when we ask God in our prayers to be merciful to us and to do something, heal somebody, heal me, uh, work through this situation, help us with whatever, do we go away in faith saying, ah, God has it, God will do it, he will take care of it? Or do we tend to hang on to it and say, just, I don't know, I don't know if it's going to work out. What a, what a lesson for us in what's not in the scripture here. What does the woman do? What does the centurion do? Let's see. We too feast on the mercy that falls overflowing from the table of the master. Water with the word, baptism, a simple meal of bread and wine, communion, the Eucharist, hearing from the mouth of a pastor God's proclamation that your sins are forgiven, as you heard this morning, a wooden cross, an empty tomb. These might all look like lowly crumbs. To the outside world, they certainly do. But they carry great power. They carry God's mercy straight to you and his promise of eternal life. Notice that Jesus complies happily with her request. It isn't that she's trapped him. It isn't that he's got to save face with his disciples. It isn't that she's questioned whether he really has the power and he's going to have to prove it. Nothing like that. He has wanted to heal her daughter. And he happily does it. We can imagine his face as he tells her, be it done for you, that he's smiling joyfully. And God longs to be merciful to all of his creatures. It's his loving desire, of course, we know that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. How often do we feel like he's turning a deaf ear to us or ignoring us or shutting us out. And maybe it is that we feel like we don't deserve his mercy because he's not doing for us what we ask. Something that is obviously so good and yet he doesn't do it. Maybe we think, ah, it's probably because of that sin or because of this or that or because I'm not going to church often enough or, or I'm not reading my Bible or I'm not whatever. I'm not praying enough. We think we're not worthy of his love and care. We're worthy of it because God has made us worthy, because God has promised it to us. That makes us worthy. We can't earn his love or his care or his devotion or his miracles or his anything. We can't earn any of it by doing any of the things I, I mentioned. But God makes us worthy as Jesus dies on the cross. All people are worthy of receiving his blood to cover their sins. 
in your baptism, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you. You are worthy of the ear of the Father. Don't ever think that he doesn't hear your prayers or that he doesn't want to do good because he does. Jesus chose to carry that cross to Calvary. He chose to pay the price for each and every one of our sins because he came to seek and to save the lost from all nations. He came for the meek and the humble. He came for all of us who are unworthy. He doesn't just give us a crumb here or there, but he suffered and he died so that he could lavish his love on every sinner who calls on him in need. We don't know how this Canaanite woman came to hear about Jesus or how she got such great faith. Well, we do know how she got such great faith. We're not told how she heard about Jesus, but we know how she got the faith. That was a gift of the Holy Spirit. Just like your faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And on the last day when Christ returns, you and I will marvel at the great mercy of God for us. And then we're not going to be relegated to crumbs, but we're going to have a seat at the table with all the children of God, a seat at the feast. And we'll enjoy that marriage feast of the Lamb and eternity in heaven with Him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, that you have brought us by faith into the household of Israel, that you have made us your sons and daughters, that Jesus, who came for the lost sheep of Israel, has gathered us into the fold as well, so that there is one flock and one shepherd. Thank you for giving us faith to receive your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And may our joy and thankfulness be evident to those around us, that others may also come to feast on your goodness and mercy. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.